You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back, my friends, to The Conservative Conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz here in the house. It is late Tuesday, November 22nd, right before Thanksgiving. And I know some of you are really excited about finally spending some family time. A lot of you work hard. Those of you who have real jobs, unlike myself. (laughs) Although I do work hard, I must say, and I'm I'm really looking forward to having much-needed time with my wife, my three boys, um, th- this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Thanksgiving is God, family, country, embodied. That's what I want to talk about today. Thanksgiving, the courts, the Sodom and Gomorrah that we're plunged into. You know, Thanksgiving, perhaps more than any other day or custom, when one truly understands the meaning and origin of this day, which our elites clearly do not. In my mind, it reveals just how divorced this country has become from its foundation. And what is that foundation? What is the foundation of this country? Foundation of this country is God. The preamble of the Declaration of Independence, unalienable rights, the right to popular sovereignty, the right to governance by the consent of the governed, that we're not chattel, that we have the right right to self-governance, That all comes from God, the recognition that there's a God. Our entire country was founded upon the notion of divine providence, that everything we get is from God. Everything that we want, we must pray for to secure his blessings. This is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the God gap. When you have a small G God, you have a big G government. And vice versa. You know, we, we look towards the Trump administration. There's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of bright spots, particularly when it comes to national security, immigration. I think there's stuff we could accomplish if we play our cards right. And by the way, tweet me at RM Conservative if you have any ideas you want me to push along. Not that I have that many ins, but the people I know. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing the ideas I think we should fight for, like we had on the podcast last time with Mark Meckler. We have an opportunity to push for a convention in the States. There's a lot of things we need to be doing. But at the end of the day, there is a big stumbling block standing in our way, and that is the God gap. That is the, the decrepit society that we now live in that's been foisted upon us by the national elites, by the cultural uh, leftist cultural warriors, that is where it's at. And we could talk about fiscal policy, we could talk about bankruptcy, national debt, the security problems, but it all gets back to the foundation. Who are we as a people? What is America all about? And, And this affects our personal lives, our family lives, and our government. Because again, government starts from the individual and moves up to the family. That's the smallest unit of self-governance. Your your neighbors, your maybe your homeowners association, 
your your township, your county, and then state. And then ultimately, ultimately, the federal government is only for national security issues, the border, the military. And that was because we have God-given rights, and we have primarily our service to God. When you have a nation that's increasingly secular, where you have a government, particularly the unelected branch of the judiciary, which I want to focus on today, that makes our body politic and our society even more secular than the secular people want it to be. That is why we don't have self-governance. That's why we don't have respect for unalienable rights. That's why we don't have respect for the system of governance that we adopted, because we don't have respect for God. As Justice Scalia said in one of his, I believe, one of his, one of his final uh, public speeches, in Louisiana in January of this year, right before he died, he said, God is so good to us. Why are, why are we kicking him out? <laughs> it, it was just, it was so funny the way he always expressed things so plainly and boldly. Um, but that that's really what Thanksgiving embodies, that foundation. Thanksgiving is kind of like Constitution Day, July 4th, all rolled into one. God, c- family, country, what is Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is Psalms 107. Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. It's not just commemorating 1620. You know, the, the pioneers, the pilgrims, Squanto, the Indians, you know, they love to talk about them in school. Um, that, that's part of it, the founding of our continent. But even more so, it's the founding of our country, our constitution, our declaration, It's all about the foundation wrapped in one holiday, and that is all about God. You know, George Washington, who was regarded as relatively more secular compared to most of the other founders, he said in his farewell address, of all dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality morality are indispensable supports. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined edu- education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. They all understood that religion and belief in God and following God and praying to God was indispensable to what we are. And that was embodied through Thanksgiving. So again, what is Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving isn't just a commemoration of the events in 1620 with the pilgrims and the harvest. That was one day that embodied what Thanksgiving is for everyone. It's on an individual level, it's on a family level, it's on a community level, it's on a national level. The recognition that everything comes from God, we have to thank God for what he provides us, and we have to pray to God in order to that, that we would be bestowed with the blessings in the future, prospectively. I want to kind of go through with you some of what our early political leaders, our founders, wrote about Thanksgiving, just to explain its origin. I'll have... A lot of this up in my Thanksgiving manifesto coming up Thursday on on Thanksgiving Day itself. But just to understand, everyone understood you always need to thank God. That was fully understood. It's rooted very much in in, in Exodus, in the Old Testament, the Jewish holiday 
of of um tabernacle which comes at the end of the summer the beginning of the fall when they gather in uh, the the crops all the bounty um it's it was referred to as the festival of ingathering at the end of the year so to speak towards the end of exodus it's referenced a couple other places in uh, leviticus and deuteronomy as well and our founders all understood that and that's why the first real thanksgiving again wasn't a feast to celebrate the pilgrims and it <laughs> by golly it certainly wasn't black friday and uh hedonism which we now have nowadays where family time and and introspection and prayer and 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 thanking god is is supplanted with hedonism and again this is what i mean by saying that no day embodies the bifurcation the gulf the dichotomy between our founding foundational values and what we're confronted with today um which is just so much deeper than raw politics it's it's on a societal level it's so much more upstream than the political problems we're seeing downstream but the first national thanksgiving proclamation was Again, not a feast, but a declaration by the Continental Congress, even before the Constitution was adopted. I believe it was in 1777, and it was put forth, the original draft, by Sam Adams. Um, it was December, yes, it was December 17th, 1777. The colonists marked a day of Thanksgiving. What was that Thanksgiving? Was it Black Friday? Was it football? No. It was, quote, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for benefits received and to implore such farther blessings as they stand in need of. God, we recognize you in our life. We recognize everything we have is from you. We recognize we are such needy human beings. And therefore, for any future needs, we need your blessing. That is what Thanksgiving is in a nutshell. It was no particular day. It's something that you know we really need every day in our lives. But there was a recognition that you needed a national day of Thanksgiving. And certainly after um, the victory in the Revolutionary War and um, you know, obviously going through the Articles of Confederation in the 1770s, they had a lot of trials and tribulations, but they had a lot of successes as well as a nation. And they understood that they needed God at that pivotal, pivotal moment. Um, they further prayed in in that uh it's that same proclamation that god may nurture quote the schools and seminaries of education so necessary for cultivating the principles of true liberty virtue and piety so not only did they understand how government should foster religion foster god i mean again you atheist libertarians out there i might have a couple i know i don't have any liberals listening you might disagree with it. You might not like it, but you can't disregard. This is our founding. This is our heritage. This is what the country is founded on. And not just that it should be important, but that it is indispensable to liberty, to the founding. So that was in 1777. And and, and you'll see where I'm headed with this when I zoom back into what we're confronted with nowadays with the courts. And it's just breathtaking how divorced we are from our founding values, where gold is turned to excrement excrement is turned to gold everything's flipped on its head but for now let's let's continue a little bit more two years later november 26 so this is kind of where november came into play um was really our first national thanksgiving as a nation under the constitution 
um, when George Washington, at the behest of Congress, they asked him to call for a public day of Thanksgiving, a public Thanksgiving and prayer. Um, and Washington called for this day of prayer. Again, imagine this, a federal day of prayer. You know, right at the time that the First Amendment was being drafted, the amendment that the left uses to expunge religion and prayer and God from our country. To beseech God, quote, to pardon our national and other transgressions and to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue. This is George Washington talking here. It's not just a recognition of God, but a recognition that we need to promote his providence and, and the practice and prayer and fasting to God. Throughout the early years of our country, various presidents established public days of prayer, thanksgiving, and fasting. This was almost a yearly occurrence, um, but it wasn't an official federal holiday or it wasn't you know, recognized on a particular day. It tended to be towards the end of the year. Um, you know, with the breakout of the quasi-war with France that first started in 1798, John Adams called for a national day of, quote, solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Imagine that going out, going over nowadays. Um, Adams wrote in his proclamation that, quote, a national acknowledgement, unquote, of God's providence was not only an indispensable duty of the nation, they had to, you know, recognize that, but, quote, a duty whose natural influence is favorable to the promotion of that morality and piety without which social happiness cannot exist nor the blessings of a free government be enjoyed. So they meant this both in terms of divine providence. We wouldn't you know, be worthy of God's divine providence if we don't recognize his uh, uh, providence and pray for it, but also that morality and piety is needed for a civil society to promote liberty. Which, which is quite obvious to you know anyone who who sees the destruction of limited government self governance nowadays. It really is downstream from the lack of morality and piety. Um, so this this was actually in April of 1798. Adams Adams called for another Thanksgiving. So this is the only time I uh, I was able to find that we had two in one year. Um, again, what 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 was a national day of Thanksgiving? Circuit 1798. Quote, that the citizens on that day abstain as far as may be from their secular occupations, devote the time to the sacred duties of religion in public and in private, that they call in mind our numerous offenses against the Most High God, confess them before him with the sincerest penance. So again, not only a recognition of divine providence, a thankfulness to, to what he's bestowed upon us, a prayer for future blessings, but also a time to confess our sins. This is all being done by Congress and the president. <laughs> this is what Thanksgiving is. Again, if the ACLU was, would have been around back then, holy heck, <laughs> they would have had this in court in two seconds. Oh, whoops. The courts were never supposed to be that way. Indeed, in the end of the 1700s, the courts were not operating as a judicial veto on everything Congress did. But I digress. It wasn't really until Abraham Lincoln's time that it, it became a sort of national holiday, an official holiday every November. It started out, I believe, in 14 states throughout the 1830s, 1840s. Um, but it wasn't until Sarah Josepha Hale of uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb fame. She was a big writer and... Um, very devout Christian. She uh, 
kept harassing Abraham Lincoln to sign a proclamation. Finally, he did it on 1863. And um, Lincoln noted in that proclamation that this day is for reflecting one heart and one voice by the whole American people, um, you know, for patriotism, religious observance, appreciation of American history. This is all part of our history. And this this continued. Um, you know, Calvin Coolidge, if you look at his proclamations, you can go online they have the proclamations of every president, their Thanksgiving proclamations. And he always, almost echoing the, the Bible of um, Tabernacle, the, the feast of the festival of in, ingathering, you know, thanking God for the economic growth they had that year, uh, agriculture. And um, he said it was such a great custom, Thanksgiving, because, quote, it has the san- sanction of antiquity. And approbation of our religious convictions in acknowledging the receipt of divine favor in contemplating the blessings which have been bestowed upon us, we shall reveal the spiritual strength of our nation. So again, you see that overall Thanksgiving was about the national character. A day of prayer, fasting, repentance, thankfulness to God. You know, and, th- and this persisted really right up until... Um, until Ronald Reagan's time. You know, you don't have to go back to John Adams when people say, oh, well, that was a different country. I mean, even in, in 1986, in Reagan's Thanksgiving proclamation, he wrote that no custom reveals our character as a nation so clearly as our celebration of Thanksgiving Day, as it is rooted deeply in our Judeo-Christian heritage and, quote, underscores our unshakable belief in God as the foundation of our nation. Again, the recognition that not just that God is important, that we need God for our blessing, that we must thank God, but that the belief that God is the foundation of our nation. This was Ronald Reagan just 30 years ago. You know, not, not 200 years ago. <laughs> God, I wish we had a president that <laughs> talked like that now. But, but th- th- this is... This is what Thanksgiving is all about. This is our foundation. It's undeniable. Now, what happens when you turn away from that? There's tons of quotes, tons of great quotes from our founders, early political leaders about the indispensable nation, uh, nature of religion, morality to liberty, our constitution, obviously our declaration. But to me, this one quote I want to share with you best embodies it, Robert Winthrop. He was a former Speaker of the House, um, mid-1800s, before the Civil War. I believe this was a quote from 1849. He warned that, quote, men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. And that's where we are nowadays. Now, we're not exactly controlled by the bayonet, but it's by big government. This is how we could have a nation. I want to you know, transition now to my article that I just put out earlier today. No one's talking about this, how the lower courts are destroying this country. It's bad enough to, that we would have elected branches of government kicking God out of our nation. Kicking morality out of our nation. We have, we now have courts. Now I know this isn't new, but it happens from time to time in, in local governments 
the city of Bloomfield, New Mexico, erected a monument of the Ten Commandments on, on their city hall lawn. Among many other monuments, they had the Bill of Rights, the Gettysburg Address. So it wasn't just religious in nature. They were so apologetic, they put a disclaimer that it was funded with private funds and it wasn't designed to convey any sort of religious message. I mean, they put in all the works. ACLU sues. They get a Republican-appointed district judge to say you must take it down. And earlier, or last week, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals... Republican appointee writing the opinion affirmed that opinion and said they must take it down. Now, you're going to ask, how in the world could people get standing to sue? I mean, where's the individual grievance? Where's the right? I I want to read to you a line I didn't quote fully in the article just because it was too lengthy, but I want to share with you now to embody the Sodom and Gomorrah we are living through in the courts and why the courts are completely illegal, they're completely illegitimate, they don't have the power they're wielding, even if they try to interpret the Constitution reasonably, certainly the fact that they bastardized the Establishment Clause. So they ruled the, 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 the mere display. Again, no, nobody is being forced or coerced to do anything. Right? Madison explained during the House debate on the Bill of Rights that the Establishment Clause, not to establish national religion, first of all, is only the national government, not the state governments, but that's a different story. Um, it was designed to prevent coercion. All it is that is to say that no government, and this applies even to states, cannot coerce a person to violate their conscience. And the homosexual agenda, forcing private individuals with their private property and businesses to violate their conscience, that is a violation of the Establishment Clause. The LGBTQFUC, whatever, you know, alphabet soup, sexual identity movement, that has become a national religion. What they accuse our side of doing is not a violation. The Ten Commandments, I mean, I don't know what's so offensive about it. I guess they have a, well, I guess I do know what's so offensive about it, but um, nobody's forced to do anything. <laughs> it's an inanimate object. It's not doing anything. <laughs> right? It's not, you're not forced to public prayer. Not not that when we have public prayer, you're forced to engage in any way, but you're not, it, it, it's just there. It's, a, it's an object. And they say, it's, it, this is unbelievable. But the question is, how do you even get standing, right? How could a person get standing? What's your grievance? You know, gay marriage, you say, I'm entitled to a gay marriage. I'm entitled to, what? Well, you're entitled to what? I mean, you, you don't have to do anything. or you, It's nothing. Listen to this. So the court said that Bloomfield, meaning this was the city that erected the um, monument argues plaintiffs lack standing because being offended is not an injury in fact and plain right that, that that's obvious so the court's response is as follows plaintiffs have the requisite direct contact here the monument sits outside the main entrance to bloomfield city hall which includes the utilities department where people pay water bills <laughs> i'm sorry guys <laughs> it, it is at the front of the city hall lawn and is visible from a major road through town u.s route 550 both plaintiffs are polytheistic weak hands and testify they feel excluded by the Ten Commandments, particularly the first four commandments. <laughs> Jeez. And while Bloomfield argues that past exposure does not create, quote, an imminent injury, the facts found by the district court establish ongoing injuries and changes to the plaintiff's behavior resulting <laughs> from the highly visible religious display. Felix... 
This is one of the plaintiffs that ACLU uh, drudged up. Felix stopped going to City Hall to pay her water bills so she could avoid the monument, but still sees it from the road five or six times a week. Kuhn drives past the monument three or four times a week and sees it up close every every month when he goes to pay his water bill. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. One more sentence here. That kind of exposure is more than enough for standing. <laughs> Gee, you know, I'm sorry. All you could do is laugh. I'm crying and laughing at the same time, guys. I, I really am. This is our heritage. I mean, I, if I if I wouldn't have seen the letterhead of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, I would think this is some sort of April Fool's, you know, parody. They are literally granting standing to people that say they're offended by a monument that has been in our symbols. You know, you have in the House of Representatives the... Um, big picture of moses with the tablets i dude our our heritage our constitution our unalienable rights our thanksgiving has been rendered unconstitutional by lower court district judges and circuit judges that are appointed by congress that are created by congress how do we let this go on for even one day and yet nobody in the conservative movement even recognizes this. They had the the annual Federalist Society convention, and they were all into, oh, yeah, we're going to appoint good judges. We're going to – all about judicial supremacy, but just that we're going to have conservative judges doing it. You know, They're going to utilize supremacism of the judiciary for their, for their means. Nonsense. The courts never had this power even to interpret the Constitution as properly constructed. Certainly to turn our Constitution and our heritage on its head 180 degrees in the most foundational way. Yet we accept this. This has got to end. This is where it's at. This is the foundation of every problem we're confronted with. I don't care if it's social, fiscal, economic, nanny state, limited government issue, or national security, immigration, sovereignty, whatever it is. It comes from this. We're not slouching towards Gomorrah, as uh, the great Robert Bork warned about 15 years ago. We are in it. We are living in it. This is where we are now. A day of prayer, fasting, and repentance. That was, that, that was our legacy. Now, the mere display of Ten Commandments with private funds— and by the way, I mean, you see clearly from our founders, it was very clear that they felt government should downright foster it, pri primarily at, at a state and local level, as Bloomfield was doing, but even at a, at a federal level, just in terms of recognition. Again, all they were supposed to do is not declare a specific Protestant denomination as the official religion and not to coerce anyone. I mean, let me say this. I am Jewish. I'm not even Christian. I know probably 99% of our audience here is Christian. Um, you know, our family has been in America for about maybe 115 years or so. We've never had problems worshiping the way we want. It's never been a problem. The problem is from the pagan inquisition. The problem is from the secularists. They are the ones violating the establishment clause. Yet we now have courts with life tenure, unelected judges, Republican judges too, even the ones that don't recognize a pagan right, a pagan constitution to the extent the left does, it's still, they agree to 10, 15 premises of the left. 
And this is where everyone is getting the judiciary wrong. I'm going to repeat it again. It's not about who you appoint. Most of these guys are not like Clarence Thomas. They might be pretty decent judges, pretty decent guys, but they accept the damage that has already been done. They accept stare decisis. They accept this fictional precedent. They might not expand upon it, but we don't need to expand upon it. As you could see from this case I demonstrated, and by the way, I have a lot more. If you read my daily writings, you see I write about this every other day. What the courts did in Wisconsin, getting involved in state legislative districts. Um, the, 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 there's enough existing post-constitutional jurisprudence in the courts to destroy this country 10 times over, even if you don't expand it. Yet our side agrees to this premise. This is our biggest constitutional crisis. The fact that the courts are regarded as the sole and final arbiter of the Constitution, of our society, and the single worst aspect of it is the eradication of God from our, from our Constitution, from our heritage, from our society. How bad is this? It's so bad that, let me, let me tell you this, who is the number one pick Dream pick for conservative legal eagles. Judge Mark Pryor of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. He's pretty much the most touted strict constructionist. Now look, he's a good guy. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a pariah for saying this. Nobody in the legal community would agree with me. He's viewed as God. Everyone wants him to be picked as the next Supreme Court justice to fill Scalia's seat. So this is the best, the best man out there. Among the judges. You know who Judge Pryor is? He is the man as Attorney General of Alabama who viciously went after Judge Roy Moore for not doing exactly what this district judge in New Mexico did. A federal district judge, not even the Supreme Court, a dinky little district judge who should be much lower on the food chain than the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of a state like Judge Roy Moore was. He ordered the replica of the Ten Commandments taken down from Roy Moore's own courthouse. So again, a federal district judge that should have no jurisdiction over that is ordering a state Supreme Court to take down its own replica. How did they get standing? They bastardized the First Amendment beyond belief. And they get standing to say take it down? And Attorney General Mark Pryor, who is now 11th Circuit Court of Appeals judge, touted as the next Supreme Court justice, he couldn't understand what Judge Roy Moore was doing. He couldn't understand it. My question to people like, like, like uh, Mark Pryor and other people at the Federalist Society, is there anything the federal courts can do that will finally force you to have a righteous and appropriate response? Is everything they say the law of the land? If they ever said that Thanksgiving, because of its religious nature, is unconstitutional, you know, to give off a federal holiday, have people not working, is that the law of the land? Where does this end? Everyone is getting the judiciary wrong. Frankly, because everyone is getting God wrong, getting morality wrong. Even our side clearly doesn't feel it enough. It doesn't bother them enough. I didn't mean to end off here on a sour note. <laughs> um, my point is, we need to recognize what's important. And, you know, sometimes 
I myself get all caught up in politics and I don't spend enough time with my family. So that's why I'm looking forward to this Thanksgiving and I encourage you all, safe travels, engage in some introspection, see what you can do in your community to take back power. It's, it's got to be bottom up. It's got to start out in your community, your county government, your state government, convention of the states. We're going to continue on our ideas. But just remember, nothing could ever happen until we recognize the importance of God in our life, until we have a great reawakening. That's really what we need, a great reawakening to God, his divine providence, our heritage, our history, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And please do me a favor. Go to patriotmobile.com. Sign up for your mobile device. Except your money will not be going towards funding Planned Parenthood and left-wing causes. 5% of your money will go towards the conservative organization of your choice. Issue promo code Daniel to waive the activation fee. And I'm telling you, I'm happy with the service. Competitive rates. Thank you all for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. See you later. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.